All right, how are we doing this morning, Hub City? Good. All right, well, I am glad to be here with you. Uh, we're going to do a little more wandering, if that's cool, uh, with you today. Um, and as Cabin was reading, um, it, things got a little chaotic, right? Today with the Israelites, they got out of control. Um, they were a little disobedient, and they made their own God. Um, and um, the chaoticness, if that's a word, the chaos, there we go, of these Israelites remind me of sixth graders. Um, no offense if you're a sixth grader, um, but I get to hang out uh, with my job um, at Allen Elementary, and I hang out with the sixth graders when their teacher takes a lunch, okay? So I am in this like, environment with um, 15 sixth graders at a time, and it's wild, dude. It's, it's a little chaotic. They like to be loud. They like to be prof- uh, profane and um, say some naughty things sometimes, and I have to get them back in their um, their spot, right? Um, but uh, they can be a little wild sometimes. I kind of like that. It's kind of fun. I'm usually a, l- a little chaotic myself, so we're just kind of a, a whole lot of chaotic people together um, when Mr. H is in the room. Um, but this Tuesday was like, like take chaotic and take it to a whole new level, okay? So we had Monday off from school, right? So they're already going crazy on Monday, and then Tuesday hits, okay? Um, so I'm hanging out with my students during lunch, and um, they're a little louder than normal, which I'm like, okay, it makes sense. Uh, it, you know, they're kind of yelling and stuff and giving me a bad time. And then all of a sudden, I hear a, a knock on the door. I'm like, huh, what's going on? And then there's uh, just a, a nice little sixth grade girl that's at the door. And she says, hey, uh, Mr. H, um, you should probably look outside. There's some people fighting. So I, I go outside, and there's like 20 sixth graders all in a circle, and there's two dudes punching each other. They're just going at it, punch for punch, and it kind of looks a little bit like uh, WWE. Um, looks a little bit like that um, at Allen Elementary. Like, kids are going hard. The, the people in the circle are cheering each other on. They're like, get them and do it, kick them, right? Like, they're going insane. They're going crazy. And then while I'm watching this, the kids in my classroom, half of them are in my classroom, half of them are outside, they're like yelling and throwing food at each other and stuff. Like, it is chaos, like, it, I have lost control of the classroom at this point, okay? So I'm, I'm trying to, do I go stop the kids who are punching each other, or do I stop the kids who are throwing uh, food at each other, right? Like, like what, what do I do? And then all of a sudden, I look, and, and the, the music teacher is sprinting as fast as he can to stop the fight, and now I'm trying to stop the, the inside. The principal's coming. It's, it's chaos, right? It's, it's crazy. And what I noticed is as soon as sixth graders know that there is not a leader or a teacher or someone in charge, chaos happens, right? When you just leave them to do their thing, man, like it gets a little wild. It gets a little crazy. It did not take long at all for them uh, to rebel due to this lack of supervision. And I kind of see the same thing with the Israelites today. And and here's what I want to talk about today. When God is silent... When God is, is not around, when, when he feels like he's not answering, he's really quiet, where, where is your allegiance to and how fragile is that allegiance, right? When we saw with my sixth graders, once I left the room and once I left my eyes, once they left to go outside, man, they just like disobedience, right? They were just ready to rebel, right? So when, when we go through times that are hard in our deserts or in our wandering like the Israelites, how quick do we switch teams that we're playing for when, we, when we're playing for God and then when something hard like financial hardships come, right? When, when we just don't know how the money's going to happen or we get fired, right? 
Where is your allegiance to? Are you switching the teams you're playing for? Is there a death in your family? Maybe someone that's really young uh, that passed away way too early or, or a grandparent. Or maybe it's a dream that died. Maybe it's a, a job, that opportunity that died. Maybe it's something that you've wanted to do forever and that died. Where is your allegiance to at that moment? Does it, does it switch when those things happen? Or maybe relationship problems. Maybe there's a divorce or, or you, you can't get along with your kids or, or your boyfriend or your girlfriend is, you're having a hard time. Where is your allegiance when that silence, when those, those answers are lacking? Where is your allegiance to? And we see, man, with the Israelites, their, their allegiance was not to God. They, they created a golden calf. When God was silent, they were fragile. It did not take much for the Israelites to implode, to, to have chaos, right? Out of God's silence, the Israelites were fragile. Once God was not visible in their lives, or a leader like Moses was not uh, visible in their lives, they, they switched the team that they were playing for. They said, you know, I want to be on this Golden Calves team because they're, this is what I want now and they can do what I want, right? It says Exodus 32, verse 1, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. Right? So just like the chaos at school happened when, when I left or another teacher left, the, this whole thing is happening because Moses has gone. And he was like, he's gone for 40 days. Like that's a decent amount of time for a leader to be gone. Right? So this is what the Israelites are dealing with. Moses and God are having a chat up on good old, the good old mountain, and the Israelites are all by themselves, and they don't know what to do, right? They don't know how to handle this, uh, this silence from God, this, this waiting period. But here's the thing. Because God wasn't acting, because there wasn't something that was going on in the Israelites' lives, they felt like they had to do something about it. They felt like they had to fit this huge God-sized shoe, um, and, and that didn't go over very well, right? We are not, we're not on that, the same level right there. Because God wasn't acting, they thought that they had to act themselves. But here's, here's the thing. God didn't want them to do that, and this is what I want to talk about today, is God wasn't expecting them to do that. What he was expecting them to do is be resilient in the silence have a backbone in the desert to say, hey, even if I'm not here or, or even if I, you can't hear me, I want you to be able to be resilient, to hold on to the truth that I have given you, hold on to this law that I have given you in my silence. He wants us to be resilient in the silence, right? And how often um, we're praying for five years about something, right? Or we, we want this thing to be happening for a really long time. We're not getting answers. We're not, God's not given us what we want. He's maybe answered it in a different way, or he's answering it by not saying anything. That's a frustrating time, right? And so often, kind of like we feel like when God's not acting, we have to act. When God is silent, we feel like we have to speak up. When God is quiet, when he is silent, man, we're like, oh, I, I, got, I got to fill that void, and I got to start to speak. And I think it kind of relates to we hate silence, right? If you're in any group discussion, if you're at youth group or small groups in a meeting or whatever, wherever you're at in a discussion, the biggest enemy is silence. It's like so weird for some. If you sit in a youth group and we're doing discussion, there's, it's just, it's awkward, right? Like, that's weird, right? It's like, I wasn't talking for a little bit and you're like, dude, please say something. This is weird. Silence is uncomfortable. We don't know how to deal with it. So there's going to be that one person who, who just like can't do silence, so they're always going to speak up in those group conversations, right? They, they can't deal with silence, so they want to say something. That's usually me, right? I, I just don't like that silence. It's uncomfortable. 
And we do that with God. Because, because of God's lack of voice, we have this fragile relationship with silence. We, we, we don't know how to deal with periods of waiting or silence or in our wonderings because we're uncomfortable with that. And because we think that, that we can't hear anything because it's a silent season, we, we believe that God is not visible, right? We can't see him. Because God was not visible, the Israelites decided they needed a visible God. They didn't have a God that was talking and a God that they couldn't see. So they're like, you know what? We're going to make our own. What a great idea. Let's make our own God. Because God was not visible, they wanted a visible God. They wanted a God with a face. There's something about a face that helps, right? There's, there's, there's something about a God that you can see, a God that you can, you can touch, a, a God that is tangible to you. It's a lot easier to believe in that and be okay with that and trust in that than a God that is invisible, a God that we can't see, and there's times where it's silent. And it reminds me, I have a, I have a little dog, an Australian shepherd. Uh, his name is Bowie, and he's awesome. He's my world. I, I love my dog. Um, but He's very cute, but there's something that's really not cute about him. When he is home alone, he is terrible. He is, he gets into stuff and he destroys things. He started eating succulents. I don't know why. One time he ate a cactus, right? Like, I was really worried. Yeah, it was not going to be fun for him on the way out. Um, But the last thing that he ate, it's crazy. He ate two Amazon Fire TV sticks. Like, he didn't eat it whole, but he chewed it up and it doesn't work anymore. Right? Like, so this guy is destroying things that are valuable to us. It's really refreshing. But not only did he destroy the remotes, he destroyed my wallet a little bit. He rented a movie. <laughs> this dog somehow pressed the button enough times and he rented a movie. Like, what? And then he destroyed the remote so I couldn't do anything about it. Like, come on. And the movie he rented was Make Up, Don't Break Up. Apparently, he's worried about Cameron and I breaking up or something, but it's okay, buddy. We're, we're going to be okay getting married here soon, but man, my dog, he cannot deal with this reality of being by himself. He, he turns, it, it, like, it's so devastating to him that, like, he just destroys things. He's like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm going to just chew on things, right? He, he gets so destructive, but here's the, the crazy part. This dude, when you're with him, he, like, if, if someone's with him, he just lays down. He does nothing. He just sits there all day, and he's perfect, right? He just doesn't get into anything. He eats and sleeps, and, and, licks my face, right? Like, that's what he does. But when, when I'm gone, when Cameron's gone, when nobody's at the house with him, he destroys things. And I'm a lot like my dog. When God is not providing answers, when he's not with me, when it feels like he's not with me, when, he, when I'm not getting the answers, uh, man, I'm really uh, discontent, right? When God's with me, man, I'm, I'm happy. I'm doing good. I'm living a, a great lifestyle. I'm on track. But when God is not giving me what I want, when he is not providing the answers that I want when he is silent, when I'm wondering, man, my life, my lifestyle gets a little destructive. And because of this, because we just can't cope with this invisible God, because we need, we need to see it, we need to feel it, right? We start to turn, um, we, we start to make our own visible gods, right? And, and for me lately, um, believe it or not, it's been the Mariners. And I know this sounds really weird, but I can watch the Mariners game every day. They have 160-something games, and I can watch every single game. It's something that I can see. It's something that I can feel when they do good. Man, I'm happy. Dude, talk to Tyler after a Mariners win because I'm going to be the most happy guy. But after they lose, like they've lost two times in a row, 
the last two days, I'm getting kind of frustrated, right? Like, I'm, I'm really frustrated, and, and now all of a sudden, I'm allowing the Mariners to d- dictate how I feel and, and, and give the credit to how I'm feeling. I am hopeful when the Mariners are winning, and that's, you know, not a whole lot. They're close to 500 right now. We're doing all right. But when, when, they're, when they're winning, I'm really happy, right? I am putting all of my hope and all of my happiness into this visible God that I can see, that I can watch, that I can hear. I'm starting to give credit to these, these mariners or this God that I have created over the true God who is at work in my life. It reminds me of in this scripture in Exodus 32, verse 1, it says, As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Right? This is insane. They are giving credit to Moses for delivering them out of Egypt. Like, do you see what's off there? Right? Like, Moses was not the one who delivered them out of Egypt. God was. Now they are starting to get everything out of whack, and they are starting to give credit to Moses over God. And that's what a silent season does to people. When God is silent, when God is quiet, we start to forget. We start to, if silence is, is the, the thing that we're experiencing, we start to forget what God has already done for us. Nexus uh, 32, verse 2, it says, Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. There they go again. Now they're giving this golden calf. They just created it. Now they're giving credit to this golden calf for the deliverance uh, out of Egypt. And it's really interesting. Some people think that this this jewelry, all the gold and uh, everything that they were wearing, right, was loot from Egypt, actually. So when God delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery, after 400 years, a token of, of them leaving, they got to, like, plunder the, the Egyptians' jewelry. And now they're wearing it. And what that is, it's representing that God is an active God, that he delivered them, right? The, the jewelry represents that God delivered them. It's a symbol of an active God. And now they're taking this symbol of an active God and making their own God with it because they think that their God is not active. Right? You see the irony in that? That they're using a symbol of something that God has already done, giving something else the credit. The, the Israelites, man, they're not holding on to this, this truth. They're not holding on to this past victories of of what they've gone through and what they've did, right? We talked about it. The Israelites were, were in slavery for 400 years. They got delivered. Boom. That's amazing. God sent like 10 nasty plagues to Egypt to make sure that this, this Pharaoh lets his people go, right? That's miraculous. That's cool. The Israelites look at that and can see this visible God almost through these plagues. And then they get to uh, cross the Red Sea, but they don't do it with a boat, man. They go on dry ground. They walk across a Red Sea that is split in half. Like, that is amazing. That is wild. And then we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Manna is falling from the heavens, right? Like God is doing things in the desert. God is miraculous. He is moving. He is doing things. But here's the thing. The Israelites confuse a time where miracles are sparse with a God who is distant. They believe because these big Red Sea moments aren't happening that God is not with them anymore, that he doesn't care anymore. And it's really, really, really easy to forget a fruitful time in a desert. 
When we are in a desert and we're hot and we're, we're tired and we're wandering, it is so easy to forget about the past things that God has done for us. All we focus on is, I'm in the desert and this sucks. Our, our, our viewpoint is, is tunnel vision just on the desert that we're in at the moment. We don't see the things that God has done or maybe even what he's doing right now because we're so focused on this, this desert, this situation that we are in. And here's the truth, and sometimes this is hard. There will be times where you wonder. There will be times where, where God seems awfully quiet, where you're in a desert, and you're saying, God, I need you, and I, you don't hear anything, right? Like, I, I can't just tell you that, that it's always going to be okay. There will be times where there's deserts, but here's what's, what's some truth that I want you to hold on to today. Joshua 1.9, it says, I have, not have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed. Here's the truth. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Israelites failed to realize that. They weren't, they weren't resilient in the silence. They didn't realize that wherever they go, God is with them. Even if he's quiet, he's with you. And I want you to hold on to that truth today and, and wear it like a shield, wear it like armor. Wherever you go, God is with you. Right, we've been commanded you got to be strong and courageous. you got to be resilient. And we can do that, not on our own strength, but knowing that, that God is with us. That's where we can be bold. That's where we can be strong. That's where we can be courageous. And now what we're learning is we can be resilient in our deserts. We can be resilient because, you know what, I don't hear God, but I know that he's, he's here with me. We don't have to compromise our faith. We don't have to switch teams because we're, what the team we're playing for isn't winning right now, right? That's not how, it, we're, we're not fair weather fans. Based on the season we're in, we don't, we don't quit. We don't, we don't stop cheering for God. And there's a, a story, uh, one of my favorites in the New Testament that reminds me a lot of, of this Israel's season of waiting, of wondering, and it's the story of Lazarus. I want to read this. It's found in John 11, starting in verse 1. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So we have this situation where um, Jesus' friends, right, they need help. They need a miracle. Lazarus is sick, and, you know, they're going to go to the one, Jesus, right, who can fix this situation, who can heal this situation. They're asking for Jesus to move. But as we read on in this story, Jesus hears about this friend who is sick, right? He hears, okay, my, my buddy, my homie, Lazarus is sick. I'm going to, uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. But here's the thing. He waits. Jesus hears about Lazarus being sick, and he waits. That's frustrating. Imagine if you were Lazarus. Jesus does not immediately go. He doesn't drop whatever he's doing and, and, and just run to Lazarus. He doesn't do that. He waits. And the frustrating thing is, man, we see examples in the Bible where uh, someone just literally has to touch Jesus and they're good to go, right? They're healed. So what, like Jesus doesn't even have to be with Lazarus to be able to heal this, this dude, but it doesn't happen. He doesn't go. He doesn't get healed right away. Continuing on in uh, Chapter 11, it says, so although Jesus loved Mar Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, I want to read that again. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. So, although, right, that's a scary so. So 
Because Jesus loved these people, he waited. He stayed. Out of Jesus' love, he waited. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, now they're, they're in the, the Israelites' boat, right? They are in a season of silence. They're in the season of, of waiting. Because Jesus is, is not going immediately. That's a hard season to be in. And they have to, now they have to deal with this waiting period. And I don't, I'm not, don't know about you, but I am not a good waiter. I'm not good at being patient. That is not my virtue, okay? When I'm driving to like the Mariners game or something, and it's Seattle traffic, right? Uh, and it's, it's stopped, and all of a sudden I see the lane next to me starts moving. I'm going to go right into that lane, right? Because it's moving, and I'm going to switch lanes because as long as I don't have to wait, I'm good. And then the lane I'm in, you know, stops, and then the other one starts to move, and I go back into that one, right? Because I'm so impatient, and I have to be in the lane that's moving. And I am probably the reason why there's traffic in Seattle, right? Because I'm going back and forth, back and forth. Like, it's, it's ridiculous how impatient I can be with driving, once I have to wait, I move lanes. Same thing with grocery stores, right? I can, I'm ready to check out. I have my, my cart, and then I'll look down the lines, and I'll, I'll count how many people there are. And then I'll even count in their grocery uh, carts, I'll count how many items they have. And I'll do the calculation. I'm like, oh, okay, this, this person has this many items, and this cashier is kind of slow. You know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to go to the self-checkout because this is way easier, and I want to do it myself because I don't want to wait anymore. When I have to wait, I move on to the next thing. When I have to wait, I don't, I don't want to sit there and have to wait because my impatient. I move on to the next thing, and I do this with Jesus too. When I'm asking him to move, when I'm like Lazarus, I'm saying, man, I'm sick, I need to be healed, or I need this, or God, can you do this for me? And if, he, if the answer is nothing or if it's wait, I move on to the next thing that's going to give me the answer that I want. Now we're creating gods again. Because of our impatience, we are turning other things into God. But as we learn in this story that we're reading, in the story of Lazarus, Jesus is saying, hey, you need to be cool with waiting. You need to be okay with waiting. We're, we're uncomfortable with that. We're at unease with that waiting. But Jesus is saying, I want you to get used to this. This is a lifestyle that you need to come accustomed to. You need to learn to be okay with waiting. So we see that scripture that I read in Lazarus' story, because of Jesus' love, he waited. Waiting is, is a way that Jesus does things at times. Continuing in this story, it says, The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. Then they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleep, sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe me. Come, let's go and see him. Right? Sometimes out of God's love for you, it means that he does nothing. And that's a really sobering thought to hear. Out of God's love, he does nothing. Right? It even says here, and it, for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. Either Jesus is a jerk or he like, knows what's going on. Right? I, don't think it's, I don't think it's the first one. It's the latter. Jesus knows what's going on. He has this confidence of, hey, let's go see him, right? The disciples are like, dude, he's dead. And, and Jesus confidently says, I'm glad I wasn't there. Now let's go see him. Continuing, it says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Jesus is late, man. This guy has been dead for four days. He's been in the grave for four days. He is really not good with his schedule, apparently. He's always late. And here's the interesting thing. 
Man, it's believed um, that after somebody died, that their spirit would just, their soul would hang out above them. It would just hover around their body for three days. It's really interesting, right, that, that people believed that there was still this window of opportunity for a miracle to happen. That after, after or in that three-day period, the, the soul's still hanging out, and Jesus can grab it and shove it back in there, and we're good to go, right? Lazarus is, is back. Come on. But did you, did you catch this? Jesus showed up four days after Lazarus' is been dead. And I don't know if they, these, these people believed this, but, but if in case they were believing that, oh, if Jesus shows up just three days after he dies and, and no later, then we're still good. Jesus can still show up and, and make a miracle happen. He can take the soul, put it back. But Jesus showed up four days later, missing the, the, the time constraint. So Jesus doesn't show up late. He like misses it. Jesus totally misses it. He doesn't come fashionably late. He just flat out misses this opportunity. And here's what it teaches us. Sometimes we're going to struggle. And sometimes there's going to be situations where you suffer. And there's going to be times in your life where things might even die. We saw that in, in the story of Lazarus. He died. Jesus could have, could have came. But out of his love, he waited. And, and as a result, Lazarus died. But here's the truth, and, and bringing back to that, that Joshua passage, in all three of these situations, Jesus can still be near. In struggle, in suffering, in death, Jesus can still be near. Just because those things are happening doesn't void Jesus' presence. A couple of Februarys ago, I was in the process of trying to be a pastor. I had this huge binder with all of this doctrine and theology and um, polity, right? Like all of these really exciting things, right? And I had, to, I had to memorize it. I had to know it. I had to live it, and I had to breathe it. And I go to this, this interview, right? This is the final step. I'm, I'm studied up. Sean's helped me out. And I sit in front of all these really intimidating senior pastors who have been doing it forever and know all this stuff. And I last five minutes in that meeting. I last five minutes. And they're like, mm, we're going to wait on this. That was hard. That was rough. This is something that God called me to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm right at the finish line. I can taste it, right? But I only last five minutes in what's supposed to be like a four-hour interview. I lasted five minutes. That's embarrassing. And it felt like God abandoned me. It felt like he was not present there with me. He was really silent in that moment. It felt like he lied to me on this very stage. I felt like God called me to be a pastor. He said, Tyler, I want you to go and do that. I want you to uh, drop out of college and, and be a pastor. God, I dropped out of college for this. And I'm here, and now you're, you're, you're telling me no, I have to wait. It felt like the stop sign right here. I was ready to roll through that thing, but, but he said, stop. And, and really what it felt like is something I cared about, something I dreamed about died that day in me. There was, there was a, a dream that was crushed, that, that was, I was ready to give up. I was like, you know what, whatever. You're going to say no, I'm going to say no too, right? I was getting kind of stubborn there. 
And these times, man, it leads us to ask a question. And Mary and Martha both say this, this, this statement in John, uh, John 11. A, a situation of silence um, leads them to say, Lord, if you would have been there, my brother wouldn't have died. They both said it to Jesus. Lord, if you would have been there, my brother wouldn't have died. And when I went through that situation of being told no and being embarrassed and have to tell everybody in my family, you know what? I failed. I'm not a pastor. I was saying, God, if you would have been there, I would have been a pastor. Lord, if you would have been there, I would have been a pastor. Last March, my cousin passed away. He's 20. Lord, if you would have been there, my cousin would have died. He would be here today with me. Lord, if you would have been there, what are your, Lord, if you would have been there moments right now? What are you going through? What is this desert? What is this season where you're asking, Lord, if you would have been there, you're awfully quiet right now. Lord, if you would have been there, then this. But I want us to point, point us back to Jesus. And even in these, these dark moments that is filled with suffering, with struggle, with death, Jesus is near. Jesus is present. It says in the, the John 11, it says, So they rolled the stone away. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. I'm going to read that again because I don't want us to skip over that. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Dude, that is amazing. This dude's been dead for four days. And it even say, says in the scripture, like, they didn't want to open up the grave because they, it was too smelly. Like, they're like, dude, that guy's stanky. I don't want to smell that. But, but Jesus said, roll that stone away, and, and he gets to come out. But that's, that's amazing. But truly, what to me, the most amazing part of this scripture is what I, I read a couple times. We have a God who always hears us. We have a God who always hears us. God who is always present. You have to be present to be able to hear. God always hears you might seem awfully quiet. It might seem very lonely, but we have a God who always hears us. And not only do we have a God who, who always hears us, but we have a God who, who can speak to our dead situations and says, come on, get up. Get out of that grave. Even in or after our Lord, if you would have been there moments, we have a God, a, a God who can bring life to those situations. And here's the cool thing, the hope that this brings, right? When we know Jesus, we are attached to hope. There's no such thing as hopelessness found in Jesus. Because you know Jesus, you know hope. And the hope of Jesus teaches us to be resilient in the silence. When we're in our deserts, when we're in this wandering season, just like the Israelites, or we're, we're Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, when we need God to show up, Man, we can have hope and we can have resilience in the silence because of Jesus and who he is. And guess who he is? He is the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. And because of that, we can patiently wait in our deserts. We can patiently sit where we're at 
Not, not meaning that it's easy, but we can have patience, we can have resilience, we can, we can stand firm and continue to play for God's team, knowing that Jesus is the resurrection. This past September, uh, I, I did that interview again, and I'm a licensed pastor now. Yeah, come on, the God is good, right? Hey, I still had to wait, he, I still had to do that stop sign, right? It was a hard, how many months that was. But man, Jesus was, was with me. I got baptized in that period. I, 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 I had lots of conversations with people. My aunt wants to get baptized now because I'm baptized. I'm a pastor now, right? God took this situation that was dead. I was in the grave. And he moved that stone away and he said, come on out. That was, that was, that was my situation. That was my story with that. But Here's the thing, there might be stories where it doesn't have a resurrection ending, where there is a dream that dies and it stays dead. But here's the thing, we can still have hope in those situations because at any moment Jesus can move, Jesus can speak and resurrect our situation. But here's the thing, sometimes that looks a little different than what we would like it to be. Sometimes Jesus asks us to wait. But we're resilient because we have that hope of Jesus. We know how to do that. So even in the situations that we face now that don't have this resurrection ending, that don't have this, Lazarus, come out, take off your grave clothes, we still hold on to this hope in our current situations because we know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life for eternity. Maybe not for us today, but for eternity. That you get to hang out with God in heaven for eternity. Jesus is the resurrection and the life today, but he's also that tomorrow and forever. Can we pray? If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.